I woke up, front door was open, there was a cat on my bed, and my face was glued to the pillow. And it was one of those what-the-fuck moments that I was like, what happened? My face was all cut up. There was this mysterious cat in the house, and my door was wide open. I, you know, before I could even, like, really get composed, it freaked me out, sort of, everything that happened at once. My name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic, uh, drug addict. Um, my recovery date is April 9, 2019. Okay, so let me let me stop you right there, because April 9, 2019, you said yeah. I was coming yeah. up on a year actually. I is was that right? I was just I was 16 days, and I was counting. You know, I was counting. So close, uh, right? What's that? So where does that put you at? Like, well, you know, I did have a slip with drinking eventually, but I haven't touched opiates since. And that's my biggest, you know. So yeah. to me, my sober day, anyone I've asked is leap day. It's 2.29.20. However, right. my most important day is 4.25.18, which is the last time I did pills because yeah. I did them for 10 years every single day and obsessed. Yeah. You know, I'm an alcoholic, Mike, but like I was a pill addict. You know what I mean? Like I'm an alcoholic. No, I'm here, yeah. But um so what was going on for you April 8th, 2019? So, um I uh had been binge drinking drinking that that weekend before, uh, actually that entire week, but um leading up to the weekend days blurred and um i had to make a presentation actually that monday morning um to a client um and i didn't show i didn't call in sick because yeah, tuesday the tuesday was the ninth if i'm not mistaken right. like april 9th was a tuesday because thursday was april 25th i remember what meeting i went to so that's that's got the, the calendar in my okay. head yeah i remember going to a thursday night meeting specifically right. this meeting for my one-year chip so that's why i did the math real fast i'm like all right the 23rd you know so yeah that was so that monday you didn't show up to work so i didn't show up to work and you know the actually the days leading up to that i was pretty sketchy about work anyhow i had, i was done i was like fed up um, what were you doing what kind of work uh i'm I worked for an advertising agency here in Austin, um, national agency, big, prominent uh, national accounts. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, uh, a creative director for the art side. And uh, I had been given this assignment and, you know, I I was really kind of just fed up. I was done and, um, you know, swimming in booze. Uh, I had, I had already started ghosting, um, but you know, I was calling in with lame excuse, food poisoning, whatnot, you know, whatever I can pull out of my ass. And food poisoning was always a good excuse for a drug addict and an alcoholic because we're not contagious. We won't have to see a doctor and we could be back in 24 to 36 hours, maybe. <laughs> you know, so food poisoning was always like the go-to. I feel like. If you're in a, if you own a business and somebody calls out food poisoning more than once in a year, maybe give them a drug test. Red flag. <laughs> maybe give Red them a drug flag. 
<laughs> anyway, um, so Human Resources had contacted a friend of mine and uh, was like, hey, he's not answering emails. He's not um, answering his phone. He missed a client meeting where he was presenting. You know, it was it was uh, literally that. And at the time I was having um, my house remodeled. So, you know, the contractor was in and out. I was locked away in my bedroom with vodka and my two dogs. And my buddy Will actually uh, convinced the contractor to let me let him in. And he found me on the bed, passed out with the dogs. Uh, and at that point, that's, you know, and Will's no stranger. I mean, he, he and I have, because, you know. You have to be really comfortable with somebody to even say that. Yeah, I mean, I know there's only a few people where I'd feel comfortable just being like, hey, I need to get in this house. Let me in right now. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, he knew something was up. And he, he probably had an idea. Anyway, knowing knowing my ways before, you know, my paths were really kind of sorted. So, and he's been involved in that. Um, to make a long story short, uh, when he discovered me, he's like, hey, dude, you need to go to the ER. They're worried about you at work. Um, I'm worried about you. And that was really sort of the pivotal point. That was, that was you know, it, it will be my second foray into detox and rehab. And I knew I was done. You know, people, people say that, you know, you get that moment of clarity. That was it, you know. So um, the next day I was I went to detox, uh, not before, you know, spending an ungodly amount of time at the ER because I made the mistake of telling the doctor that I hated my life. And so they put you on a hold, a psychiatric hold, right? Yeah, I was talking to the APD suicide squad and I was talking to social workers and honestly, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was a threat to my own life. I was just stating a fact. I hated getting up in the morning. I hated my job. You know, I hated myself. No, I, yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't you know, want, I didn't want to end it, you know, yeah. honestly. But, I heard you know. something in a meeting, Mike, early on, which was, he said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to be conscious anymore. You know what I mean? That made a lot of sense to me when I heard that those that words. Was, that was uh, the idea was hopefully I could drink myself to oblivion, wake up and everything would be OK. Yeah, I used to I picked out some trees, man. You know what I mean? I was picking out trees to go into. And actually, now that I'm thinking of it, I got to say it, you know, publicly on on a podcast, because last night I got nervous. I, I had genuine fear. I was driving to go get cigarettes and it was dark and I like it, the road swerved and I'm like, holy shit. I've told this story so many times of how I was picking trees out. Now I have mm. a genuine fear that if I die going into a tree, people are going to think I did it on purpose. So let me just say now. Oh, wow. So everyone knows wow. that I'm sober. If I go into a tree, it's a fucking accident. Like I'm afraid to drive in the rain. Tree. Ran out in front of me. Yeah, I, I'm. I was genuinely afraid of it. I'm like, oh, I don't want people to think I'm committing suicide now. If an accident genuinely happens, because I've talked about it so much on the show, you know. So now I, I'm like, I felt like I was manifesting something that was negative. So now I'm gonna have to say it. 
I'm not going into a tree anywhere, people. If it happens, it was an accident. I am not going into a tree. So, sorry, I just, I, it, thought, it dawned on me when you said that. I was like, oh, shit, I got to say this publicly, finally. My wife knows, <laughs> but I need more people to know than just my wife. She's going to take my side if something happened. So, <laughs> no. so let's rewind a little more then, you know, because you said this is not your first time. Um, let's go all the way back. When did your career uh, yeah, when did your drinking career like start? Would you grow up in Texas and Austin and So uh I was born and raised in New Orleans. I spent a lot of time in Louisiana. Uh you know, my dad uh was with AT&T always traveling and transferred is kind of the joke, the inside joke. <laughs> we ended up uh in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to art school after finishing college. Uh, art school was more of a trade school kind of thing. Um, that was my inclination from the get-go, but I was kind of told that I needed to get a degree in order to make it in life, quote-unquote. But honestly, you know, if I would be candid, that degree didn't mean fucking shit. <clears throat> the yep. trade school was really what got me the job that I wanted um, and got me the career that I, you know, the career path that I took. Wound up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, this is back in 92, and that's when I took my first job as an art director. And, uh, you know, to, to start uh, as an art director that young was actually a, a, a coup. Yeah. But then to start in a place like Portland, Oregon, when you had, like, a lot of really great advertising agencies uh doing really great work all all at once built the pressure you know even more and did you want to go to portland or did wherever it was hiring you send you to portland well i interviewed in new york and i interviewed in, in a couple places in la and then this small agency in portland emerged they were interested in me before i graduated i actually agreed to take the job um was it just as weird in 92 as it is in 2002 in portland i've not been back since i left in 99 oh, portland okay you left the 99 but like portland's like claim to fame is like we're weird oh my god and you're in austin you're in the two city you're talking about now, like Two now, cities yeah, in our country that keep it weird. Go there, and I, I got to address it, and that way people can see that uh, Austin is actually, I think, the place that started you know, actually put that stake in the ground, and Portland was the copycat. No, you're right. Now, I've looked into that because I was when I did stand up, I I was going to do a tour of all these cities. And I was writing jokes for each city I was going to stop in. And I was trying to make the jokes for that city so that audience would understand them. So I was looking into all these like fun facts and all that kind of shit. So I actually did see that Portland did it. And I forget it was years ago in addiction when I wrote these jokes. But I did write a joke about how Portland stole it from Austin. So I knew that. <laughs> yeah, they totally ripped it off. But that's not to say that Portland's not rightfully weird. Um, there was a 24-hour Church of Elvis, and yes, it was a, a street kiosk in someone's basement, some some freak. 
decided to make a shrine for Elvis, and he sold T-shirts, and it was a basement window. And oh, the Church of Dudism is in, I think, Portland or Eugene. The Church of Dudism, which is for, you know, the dude from, um, you know, Big Lebowski. And my, my friend... <laughs> my, <laughs> my friend that officiated my wedding for my wife and I, she got ordained by the Church of Dudism. Um, and I asked, I asked our county, I was like, is this acceptable before I put this on a marriage certificate? And they're like, yeah, as long as you accept it. I'm like, I accept it. So, yeah, we got married under the Church of Dudism. <laughs> in Fucking our perfect. Yep, in our living room. It was an amazing quarantine wedding with three people. A quarantine wedding. Oh man, you got to order some dominoes. We didn't have to have a big like, oh, it was it was a great fucking wedding, man. You know, we just celebrated a year back in November. So, but oh, Church of Dudas is up in Oregon though. <laughs> That's where that shit started and it's legit. You can get ordained for free. I'm in I'm in PA. I'm in PA okay. about about a half an hour from Scranton, you know, oh. where the office is and shit. So that's what everybody thinks of, you know, in our Poconos is biggest attraction in our area. But yeah, like we have a giant fair. We're in a college town called Bloomsburg and it's just a bunch of college kids. And then people like myself that have settled here with somebody that went to school here. My wife went to school here from not from here and then settled here. And then Tinder (laughs) brought me here. (laughs) So, but yeah, Tinder. So anyway, wait. Were you drinking at all in high school, moving around, or was it hard for you to like make friends and like make those kind of connections because it was the eighties and you're getting moved around all the time? Well, um, no, I, I, I did like you know what typical high school kids do. You know, they experiment with. Yeah, because there was a party scene down there, like in Louisiana. Like it's Louisiana, I, yeah, and I like, lived in rural Louisiana and. You know, by the way, uh, you know, it was sort of, uh, you know, the kind of thing that, you know, if you can get a, a beer in your hand, that was an extra special prize because it was a dry county, you know. Well, it's not a county in Louisiana. It's parish, you know. But anyway, okay. that, that was sort of the scene. And so you had to drive a good 40 miles out of town in order to get beer, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, it was raiding, you know, the friends, parents, liquor cabinet, you know, or. Were you like, were you like in the area of like true detective? Like when I think (laughs) of Louisiana, like I think of also true detective and like just all fucking wet, like, just like they're driving for hours sometimes. So to put it in perspective, I was born and raised in New Orleans. Um, we moved to uh, a small town called Pineville, which is central Louisiana. So it's sort of like uh, probably closer to Texas than anything else. And, um, you know, it was uh, a different accent. It was a different sort of lifestyle. The people, there was, uh, you know... Um, a lot of, you know, uh, people that worked in industry, you know, there wasn't uh, much to that place. What was so amazing was that it was so simple. And, you know, I kind of miss that lifestyle quite a bit, actually. 
Well, yeah, you're in Austin, man. You guys are the opposite of simple right now. You're getting the big L.A. rush of all these people from L.A. or leaving L.A. And, like, literally, I interviewed somebody that was my rehab director years ago, and she just oh. moved from L.A. to Austin even. But she did? So, she involved yeah. technology? Um, with, and she was doing something with rehabs, I believe, with treatment centers or rehabs or something like that. Um, but it just, you know, I, I'm a ex stand up comedian that does podcasting now, you know what I mean? So I know a lot of comedians also that are rushing to Austin. And I mean, two, two of my favorite comedians are from New Orleans, you know, oh, Theo, right? Theo Vaughn, um, he always talks about New Orleans, Theo Vaughn and Mark Norman always talks about, you know, New Orleans and growing up in New Orleans. So that's why I know about the drinking culture because of, you know, those two always talking about it. Theo Vaughn, I believe, is sober now. Um, he always ha- he has a mullet. He rocks a mullet, just a hard mullet. But they're two very funny guys. Theo is more Cajun accent, and Mark is more you don't even know he's from New Orleans unless he tells you. So uh, I know I know the different accents that you're talking. I know that about the Cajun accent is a big one down there. So um, the. The New Orleans accent, well, the, there's so many, like, accents, but, yeah, there's that Cajun dialogue. Yeah. But then, but then, like, the typical New Orleans actually sounds more sort of New York-like, which is kind of weird. And no, yeah, the way, the way they would, like, skip over letters and shit. Yeah, so, you know, uh, there were a lot of times that people thought that I was from up north when I was talking. Which wasn't but, the case, you know, I was like even more down south than they realized, yeah. which, you know, it doesn't matter either fucking way. It doesn't matter. People don't in, know unless they've been in people thought my accent was southern. I'm like, it's Philly, Jersey. What are you, it's South Jersey? What are you talking about? And they're like, you have a southern accent. I'm like, no, I, I don't. I, I promise you, I don't. Um. So when did you really get into like drinking, drinking them? So, like, um. It didn't actually take hold for me until uh, I started my career in advertising in Portland. The weather was shit. Um, you know, the grunge scene had already fully emerged. Um, everybody was partying. The, the heroin was super prominent. I never messed with that. For me, it was just smoking, you know, weed and drinking heavily. And I just kind of fell down that rabbit hole because that was sort of the protocol of my colleagues. You know, we had beer accounts. We had taps readily available. You can roll into work you can pour yourself a beer first thing in the morning. And it happened. Yeah. 92, 93. I mean, Pearl Jam just literally released what? 91 is when they released 10, I think, in 91. So Nirvana was right before them. Yeah, so it was Bro, really popping off. A friend of mine, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Kurt Cobain had just um, died. There was a lot of things going on while I was there, and uh, there were a lot of new things and fun, you know, buzzy things emerging. And, you know, um, I didn't really think about it really that much per se, but I knew that it was a problem because, you know, it was starting to like bleeding into like a funny ass. Ah, I did a wake and bake too. You know, I, I just, you know, threw down a few beers before work, you know, and then, you know, most 
likely it was kind of because of the crowd I was hanging out with. For them, it was a big-ass joke, you know. And the weather played a huge card in it as well, just because, you know, I uh, have seasonal affected disorder. So if the weather is shitty, so is my mood. And that kind of goes hand in hand when you have that. Um, so I was depressed a lot. I was very dark. I was angry. And, you know, um, by the end of it all, which was 99, um, I had taken the month of December off after I had gotten recruited to do a job in Austin for a job in Austin, which I spent 20 years at that advertising agency. <clears throat> And it was a good run, you know, I did well, but, you know, the partying continued and that's sort of the environment in advertising, whatever, you know, I've seen Mad Men. used to pop a joke, huh? I said, I've seen Mad Men, I know, they they, yeah. they they bring up the cart, you know, back in the 60s, they're bringing up the cart while they're doing a meeting. That was the protocol, you had the cart, um, you know, it was, it was uh, one of those things that you know, the drink cart would come around. It was Friday at two o'clock in the afternoon and work did not get done after that. And it was just, that was it because it was a happy hour after that. Maybe dinner. I lived downtown and, uh, you know, there were, there were nights that I just blacked out. I just did not know after the happy hour. I had no idea what, what happened or what went on. Uh, I remember once waking up and Front door was wide open. There was a fucking cat uh, sitting. Well, on living my bed. downtown, are you walking yeah. around places? Then are you so being was, careful at least and walking? Yeah, but not always. I would drive okay. too. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, I would walk because you know I could. My apartment was downtown, so and um, you know, like I said, you know. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. I woke up, front door was open, there was a cat on my bed and my face was glued to the pillow. And it was one of those what the fuck moments that I was like, what happened? My face is all cut up. There was this mysterious cat in the house and my door was wide open. I, you know, before I could even like, really get composed it freaked me out sort of everything that happened at once the cat the blood everywhere the front door open you know the car was in the driveway um so i mean other than those things everything else seemed fine and intact i had to go buy new glasses but you know it was it was like then i was beginning were to your eyes literally glued 
to the pillow or was it like what I've had before where my oh. eyes were so like fucked from like they were ca- no. I waking up a so, couple different times like caked to a pillow. No, I was injured and there was blood everywhere. Well, I thought the blood made from the scratches of the cat that <laughs> came in. No, so what happened was I'm sure I was walking, did a face plant along the way, broke my glasses, injured my face. You know, so I you had passed a big, out with a bloody face on your pillow, and then that got dried and stuck to the pillow. Yes. Okay, now I get it. Okay, now now it's all up. Okay, well, yeah. But yeah, I was caught up, banged up. My glasses were uh, gone. So I can only imagine what happened in between here and there, and I don't even know even where here was. Man, blackouts are so scary, dude. I, I I'm so glad I don't have to deal with them any. Like I haven't had a blackout in so long, because the the waking up and doing the math of a blackout when you're not injured is funny the first time, with your buddies. Like I don't remember anything, and you're doing the math of trying to put it together. It can be funny the first time, but when you're yeah. doing it by yourself, of like. I remember waking up one morning and being like, "Shit, I'm late for work. Like I got to get my car from the bar." And, uh, like, you know, I, I used to go to this place called The Pennant for White Trash Wednesday, where it was, like, beat the clock, you know, less than a dollar drinks all night long. And I'd just get smashed there every single Wednesday. And um, I woke up, I was like, shit, my car's still at the bar. I'm late. What the fuck? And I look out in my parking lot in my apartment complex, and there's my car in two different spots. And I'm like, well, I'm going to need cigarettes on my table, fresh pack of cigarettes unopened. And then I looked at my bank statement, and I had bought a pack at, like, 3 in the morning at a Wawa. So got I drove home drunk, and that was the last time I drove to that bar, actually. Because mm-hmm. I don't like—that's why I said if you were walking, because I don't like to drink and drive. You know, I didn't mind smoking and driving. I could be composed under that, but I did not like to be under the influence of alcohol and behind the wheel. And I love to drive. It just—I felt so uneasy. Toward the end, I was drinking and driving on a daily basis because, you know, you were you yeah. know, rid of the shakes. Um, you were you drinking know, the Medicaid at that point. Morning you know. and, uh, you know, get on to work. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, you know, I, I uh, hobbled along for 20 years at this job, you know, survived lots of layoffs. But, you know, as I reflect... Um, it was because that was my thing. I was married to my job. Uh, I was available 24 seven and I did the work. I always showed up for work and always showed up for booze, never showed up for myself. And that was, that was sort of the issue was I forgot about who I was and, uh, you know, on a very spiritual level, um, I had given my all to everything else around me um, and didn't pay attention to me, you know. Um, it's why relationships didn't work. It's why, you know, I resorted to filling that hole with booze. It, there's a lot of issues that, you know, I was neglecting. There were things that I just didn't face and... uh it also it sounds it. like the worst part was that you weren't getting any kind of challenges either, though, that were making you to stop. You know, it's not like you were facing any kind of like arrested for this or arrested for that, where you're like, I need to stop doing this or else my life is going to be in jail the rest of the time. 
Like you're not having real consequences for your drinking. Jenny, it sounds like I did have consequences. Let's hear them, Mike. Because I'm not hearing any I, yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm a stubborn motherfucker, and that that was sort of the issue um, toward the end. I had to be hospitalized. Um, I was having seizures. You know, I live alone. I have two dogs, so it's you know it, I was drinking to the point where. You know, I had already been diagnosed with diabetes, so I was, you know, beginning to feel sort of the uh, the ill effects of that combination. Okay. So yeah. I had I had to be hospitalized. There were times, and uh, you know, I would literally uh, Uber it to a hospital to the ER just because I was doubled over in pain. I didn't know what was going on. Um. And I would call in sick from my hospital bed and uh, spend a few days there, Uber it back home. I didn't, you know, the only, no one knew that I had to be hospitalized. I, you know, to them, I was just sick and I was down and out. So, you know, once I was on the mend, I would come back, um, ask the Uber driver to stop at the liquor store and then carry on when I got home. So, um when was your yeah. first bout then because you said this is your second foray so, so so yeah i was sober uh i think 2015 for almost a year i did step work um that that time um i binge drank throughout the holiday i uh then I decided, okay, New Year's resolution, you know, all like fucking cavalier. And uh, I stopped drinking and I, I fell into DTs. Now, that's serious shit. If, if you don't detox properly from alcohol. You could die. It's fucked up. Yeah, you, could, you could literally die. That's the craziest thing about it to me is this is a legal drug on the market. That can literally kill you if you use it too much and then stop suddenly. But yet, yeah. heroin, if you go into the hospital and say, hey, I'm withdrawn from heroin, they say, good luck, we'll get you some Advil, you know, here's some ice chips. They won't give you anything if you're withdrawn straight from dope. Actually, if you are withdrawn straight from dope and you need to go to the hospital and they say to you, are you an alcoholic? Say yes. Tell them you're an alcoholic because then they will give you the right meds that will help you. They will think they're treating you for alcoholism, but really they're going to help you with your heroin. And if you tell them, no, I don't drink, I'm the heroin addict, they're going to say, good luck to you. So, you know, that's how it is in our country. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up, but, yep. <laughs> you know, I think I think all that's part of an underlying stigma that deserves a bigger conversation, you know, and um, that's, you know. Uh, yeah, we had a, a whole lot. episode on it, actually, in October. There was four it, of us. Yeah, there was three returning guests that came on that dealt with hospitals and staff and all that. And I had them come back on and we did an episode all about stigmas. So, yeah, I needed to cover that because it was such a thing that was popping up over the first like 40 episodes I did. And I was like, man, we got to talk about that like in a bigger way. So, yeah, I'm not done talking about it, you know. Yeah, it's the elephant in the room, you know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I decided to you know, stop cold Turkey. I was hallucinating. I was hearing things. My heart was beating in my chest like a motherfucker. You know, it was, it was, 
it was like to the point where uh, I needed help and I was desperate. I drove myself to the hospital, went to the ER, and I don't know what happened after that. I woke up in a different ER. Apparently, I became combative, ripped the IVs out of my arm. They were black and blue. Um, I was strapped down and, you know, and somehow... I had a moment of clarity and I was able to get care for the dogs. And while I was at it, called a friend and that was Will. Will was a, uh, Will was in Houston, um, but he had alerted a lot of friends. So there were friends at the hospital um, looking after me. And uh, I was in um, intensive care for like four or five days. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it was fucked up. I was going to ask about the dogs, too, because that was a concern for me going to rehab. I had a dog. Um, she's still she lives with my parents now because when I went to rehab, I, you know, my parents took her for me because they have a yard and a fence. And I was going to L.A. <clears throat> from Pennsylvania. I found a rehab in L.A. I wanted to go to. So, you know, I gave my parents my dog. And then since what what stopped me from going into a tree all those times was knowing my dog was home alone. And I was worried yeah. that she wouldn't get fed. And she's she was such a good dog. She wouldn't go to the bathroom in the house. So, you know, and if she did, she would feel horrible about it. So right. I didn't want to, you know, I kept, that's what kept me from going into my tree that I picked out. Every single time was thinking of her and her being alone. So when I got back from rehab, my parents like, you want to, you can have the dog if you want. They loved her. And they have a cho- a black lab that's the same age. It's nine. And they get along. Oh. I was like, no, you guys, you know, my brother has a chocolate lab and a golden retriever. And they all play together. There's four of them in the same house. I'm like, you guys keep her. Like, she gets a yard now and she gets a fenced in yard to run around in. That's like her penance awesome. for keeping me alive. You know, <laughs> she did her part for me. I let her live out her life with a yard to run around in. So I still talk to her and see her all the time, my Zoe. Um, but anyway, I know what that is. It's an important thing when you're a dog owner or a cat owner. Yeah. So at Clarity, I came in just in time. And you got friends over to you, too, to check on you, which is good. Yeah. Uh, and you lasted a year. So and you did step work. I did step work. Did you stop going to meetings and then stop talking to your sponsor? What happened, what happened was um, work consumed me again. Um, I was neglecting my boundaries. There were a lot of things that sort of imploded. Um, dad was super sick with Parkinson's and battling a lot of different issues. Um, you know, when I'd go visit, that's, you know, was really hurtful and hard to see. Um, you know, work, I was traveling a lot again. Um, you know, I, I was traveling overseas constantly. So, you know, it was, it was like my life was just became out of control and my way of controlling it was to drink. And so what started out as, you know, some wine here and there, some beer, then turned into handles of whiskey and vodka you know, and an ounce of weed, and, you know, uh, it was, I'd even started experimenting with Kratom, 
and who knows what the fuck that does. I still don't trust that. I won't die, buy anything from a gas station. You know what I mean? Like, I won't buy the, yeah. the Delta 8 or whatever they have there. I won't buy I shit from know. a gas station. <laughs> I don't know what the hell it was, but I was, you know, making the Kratom tea and mixing it with weed and and booze, doing, you know, all three of those things. I'm still a smoker. So, you know, um, yeah, it was, it, you know, it, it's nice to actually feel that, okay, life is predictable, it's under control, um, I have a sober community, which, by the way, you know, I actually have to thank, you know, because it, it is sort of, when COVID took hold, um, I was beginning to get out of a, a, a an early relationship that it was like 10 years since I've actually had a, a legit relationship. And uh, COVID was beginning to take hold and she and I were actually um, just beginning to part ways. And I felt lost again. I felt like, holy shit, this is going to happen. Um, this is like sort of the right um, sort of storm. Yeah, you were coming, you were coming, you were what, 11 months into your first year when COVID hit, right? If so, my math is right. <laughs> I was nine months in when, 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 uh, let's see. Well, it hit us in March. In March 12th was our shutdown up in PA. So, yeah. So, it was almost a year in. You're right. You're right. So, yeah. I mean, just same pattern as before then. You're coming up on a year and then. Nine months in early on the relationship. So, then, yeah, after COVID. Well, that that makes sense because COVID did hit. It just didn't lock us down until March, right? It Like, we started hearing about it in January, February. And then March 12th is when NBA canceled a game, and then everyone's like, everything's canceled. <laughs> That's yeah. what happened. The NBA canceled a Utah Jazz game, and then That's everyone said, wild. fuck it, everything's, everything's shut down the next day. Oh, NHL yeah. was shut down, Every, yeah. everything was the next day. So, like, I, that was a Thursday, Friday. Like, I have a weird memory when it comes to those kind of – obviously, you can tell with, you know, the dates. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> when, when you got sober this day <laughs> – when you got sober this time, did you go back to doing step work again? So, yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, I went through detox. I went to IOP, met my sponsor at IOP. Um, I did, you know, the step work, even though, you know, step work. You're it, supposed it to go through it multiple some. times. It may be the path for some. It's not for others. I want to put that out there, and I don't think anybody should, you know, feel obligated that that's the way. No, it just uh, works it for me. me. Um, huh? It works for me, you know. Yeah. And you know, it, I'm married it, to somebody sober, and she doesn't do the steps. She does yeah. shadow work. She does like witchcraft and shadow work and all that kind of stuff. So and looking within, I respect and that. Doing you know. self evaluation. That's shadow shadow work. So. Um, and essentially that is step work. It's just a different way to say it. Yeah, know? that's what that's exactly. So like I, she does her shadow work. I do my mm-hmm. step work and we don't, you know, we talk to each other. We communicate about our recovery, how right. we're feeling, all that. But I'm not going to tell her, if you don't do the steps, this isn't going to fuck that. No, the steps, you know, they work if you work them. It's literally a fucking slogan for a reason, you know. 
she's doing her thing, which is essentially the same hey. thing you're doing. Exactly. We're, she up, we're both caught up on two years without a drink, which is unimaginable for either of us. That's you great. Know? So Congrats. the fact, you know, the biggest thing for me that shows that her shadow work is working, Mike, is, you know, she used to be a bartender. So she was that kind of a drinker, like a bartender that would just get smashed every day, you know, at the bars that would let you drink. Um, yeah. But a- anyway, um, you know, she paints and we have this meeting center that we have and it's right next to a bar. Thanksgiving Eve, I'm outside smoking a cigarette. And of course, there's already a crowd out there because it's the biggest drinking night of the year. And I come inside and I'm like, oh, my God, the crowd's already crazy out there. She's like, for what? I was like, it's Thanksgiving Eve. It's the biggest drinking night of the year. She was like, oh, I didn't even I forgot all about that. That's how far away she is from alcohol being on her mind that the biggest night of the year. She's not even thinking about it. So that tells me everything I need to know about her shadow work is working for her. So I hey. one of your podcasts, actually. Um, so, yeah, Um I forgot. I forgot where no, I was. So, no, we were talking about you. We were talking about your. We were talking about you. Do you doing step work this time around? Things were different, so, and then you and your girlfriend broke up. We broke up. Um, but I had already started playing around with just making my own memes, and some of them were um a bit irreverent and kind of dark. But then you know I was like, well, you know, what can how can I turn this into something? And I started seeing somebody else um, in July, and and she was like, you know, you need to start thinking about Instagram, because I showed her what I was thinking about doing, launching a website and featuring stories. And she's like, well, why don't you start with an Instagram, you know? And so I did, and that launched August uh, of 2020. And it'll be then, linked below also. If you're watching or listening, that page that he's talking about, um, so Sober Press will be linked below. So uh, I launched it in August of 2020 and uh, have been doing it since and, and faithfully posting every day. I may have missed a day or two here and there, but actually, if I did, I posted about it. And usually I try and post two to three things. Mm-hmm. Featured stories on my website, soberpress.org. The the whole purpose of the website um, is just to, to, you know, I think inspire people, allow them to know that they're not alone and recovery is possible very much in the way that you do this, uh, in the way that Mike does it. You know, we all do it in a different way. And my hope is that if I can inspire one person and and not like try to you know convert anybody you know because that's one of my things is i never want to ever lecture anybody all i want to do is be able to kind of plant the seed of possibility and have them sort of carry that and cultivate it on their own because it's it's one of those things i'm the type of person who's so stubborn if you tell me to do something i'm gonna go do the opposite yeah and that's you know i think a lot of people a lot of like-minded people who are fucking independent, think that way, and we're also addicts. That's kind of just sort of... You described me, bro. You just des- Yeah, you just described... Anybody would have described me that way, too. Just... <laughs> so, if you're telling me to watch a show, fuck that. I am not watching that show. 
I will put the show on when I'm good and ready. You will not tell me when to watch the show. I don't care how good the movie or the show is. Or who, if you're telling me I have to watch it, I'm not going to watch it. You, yeah. you, you start the sentence off with, you shouldn't watch a show. It's horrible. Then I'll probably yeah. watch it just to see if you're wrong. You know, but don't tell me to if watch. You're overly enthusiastic. It's your idea. Go and live with it yourself. I don't yeah. want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? I, you know, I'm just sort of done with those kind of people. And by the way, that's kind of the way it is in advertising, you know, especially when, when you're inside making the sausage and you're not like that kind of person anyway, but then, you know, you get Mr. Cheeseball in the conference room who does the hard sell. And all I have is sarcasm. Uh, all I can do is serve it up and say, slick. Check your check your attitude at the fucking door because you are so full of shit, you know, and it's like uh, people like that rub me the wrong way. And I honestly, I just I, you know, yeah, I have a hard time. Um, but, you know, it's it's you have to go to the church of tolerance in order to sort of figure that out for yourself. You know, it's like that's one of those parts in the step work that you know it's like live and let live you know that's it's definitely some something yep. <laughs> like i'll put it on my fourth step and i'll talk to somebody about it later you know when i get now when i get get disgruntled about something I'll, i was like just put it on my fourth step just put it on my fourth step we'll talk There's, about it later you know i have a plan for that now though the, the point is mike i have a plan for that now you know, I have an idea of what I'm going to do if I'm ever in a situation of like where my head's about to explode or I catch a horrible resentment. I know what to do with that now when it's not drink or use, you know, right. I know how to handle this before I even, you know, getting the diagnosis like MS and sobriety. I don't have my wife, you know, and yet I haven't once thought about drinking or using because how is that going to fix her? How is that going to help anything right now? You know, and I can I can think that way only because of the work that I put in over the last four years. Without the work that I put in, I wouldn't have any of these tools to lean on in hard times. Because there's right. going to be more hard times. There's going to be more hard times. That's what life is. It's up and down. You got to roll with yeah. it, and you got to just be okay with sitting in the shit sometimes. You know, it's not always going to be fucking rainbows and blowjobs, according to someone said to me. Once oh. my old sponsor, and I could, he was like, "Absolutely right, you know, you know, because it's not. There are days that are going to test you, but you know, September all you do is was, sit and wait." It was a month to be tested. I lost my beloved Ozzy, an Australian cattle dog. He died suddenly for whatever reason. Uh, I think the vets have finally concurred that he was experiencing an acute lymphoma episode. The cancer had spread to his body so rapidly that he couldn't recover. And so I got, you know, you know, this, you know, uh, that was sort of the epicenter of the shitty September that I had to endure. And I posted about it. If you go to my feed and you, you see like, Cause I do post based on how I feel, you know, I just, I try to be authentic and it's, yeah, it's not always rainbows and unicorns and, you know, I will, uh, kind of shoot from the hip and, uh, from the moment Ozzy was not feeling well, 
you know, I was posting about that to the moment he died. I posted a tribute. So, you know, I posted, the, you know, some of the repair work and some of the things that I was doing to help myself. And, you know, um, somebody that, you know, uh, had been observing all this is, you know, throughout has been my sponsor and, you know, and I've been talking to my counselor about it. So I was able to kind of surf that negative wave and get emerged, you know, unscathed by means of, you know, community, having a sponsor, you know, surrounding myself with, you know, really good friends who are positive thinkers and, you know, non-drinkers. I was able to, you know, actually feel the feels for the first time in my life of a death of some somebody that meant the world to me and, you know, actually not have to numb myself. And I did talk about that. I, you know, you know, when, I had to post about it. Go it's ahead. A, it's something that I've noticed with grief because grief was a big trigger for me, you know, growing up and in my 20s. Grief was a huge trigger for me. Um, yeah. So the thing I've noticed now in sobriety is that I am when I when I lose people because I still do because I still have a lot of friends that are going out and, you know, not making it. I am now celebrating their life if they pass and not mourning their death, that is the difference is that mindset. So now when somebody passes in some, and I'm sober, I celebrate their life. I am looking for ways to find ways to smile and laugh about that. Like my best, one of my best friends, his dad passed last year. And this guy was like a second, third father to me. You know what I mean? Like a big brother to me. <laughs> and, you know, I love this dude to death. And I just found old pictures and shit, old videos, things that made me laugh. You know, that's how I that, and I didn't mourn him. I celebrated him, you know, and that got through it a lot easier. And I feel like those who are departed, I think, would would wind up appreciating the idea that they were celebrated for the life that they lived rather than doused with sorrow. There was a quote Helen Keller put out there that um, stuck with me. I, I'm not going to even a, attempt to talk about or try to quote it, but it has a lot to do with flowers mourning death um, and gratitude. Um, and it was like a wonderful perspective that, you know, it's like if we would feel gratitude more often, um, you know, that's when flowers are, you know, given. And that made a lot of sense to me because it's her comparison was flowers versus funerals versus gratitude. It's like more flowers present themselves at funerals than happy moments. That makes sense. So (laughs) that was was one of those real sort of observations and Helen Keller actually made a lot of there. She's made like a lot of amazing quotes. Yeah. The and one that popped up for me is love is like a beautiful flower, which may not touch, but those, but whose fragrance make the garden a place of delight just the same. Yeah. That's not the one I'm that's talking about. That's not the one about. you're talking about. 
Yeah, I'm sure there's. Oh, there's an entire website that says Helen Keller about flower quote about flowers. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I have it saved somewhere. Anyway, rather than taking up your time, yeah, I'll actually, yeah. I'll put it up there. You know, I'll I'll put it up there. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, um, you can do that quote as your post for today. As you're yeah. inspirational. <laughs> I've put two posts out there already, but um, no, I haven't I'll... even been. I've barely been on today, except for to like answer DMs because I was I work from home now, so I was answering DMs to set this up, you know, in between. But I wasn't like scrolling, scrolling today. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> so in the end, uh, starting this Instagram, launching the website, and eventually uh, launching my own Facebook group. Um, which uh, is has been established a year. So it was consecutive. In August, I launched Instagram. That was 2020. I launched um, my website in October. Um, and that was with uh, this really amazing woman named Eliza. She was my first story. She's a writer, librarian, incredible person. Um, and then after that, I was able to get a story a week up, um, consistently for quite a while. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's been an everyday thing for me and, you know, uh, it's actually helped me a ton to have interactions with the community. Um, there are a lot of people that stick out and, you know, if if I start listing people off, I'm more than likely yeah. to forget uh, all of them. <laughs> talk about important people that need to be mentioned, but you know, uh, I see actually some of these people for you know that I'm talking about actually cycle in and out, and that's why I felt compelled to reach out to you. Um, because oh, they've been on my show. On your show, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, find I find guests on TikTok, on Facebook um, groups. Like, I go to addiction recovery groups on Facebook. They will post your story. And I'm like, hey, you want to tell your story in long – you know what I mean? Like, Instagram, I find – TikTok. I have not done TikTok. TikTok's recovery community is huge. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest with you. I was only doing it because – I know, like, regular people that aren't making content, that are watching the content that we're making, right? My dad and my brother, when they're, like, just bored, they're watching TikTok videos. So I'm like, why? Uh Exactly. So I'm like, why am I not making videos for people that like these kind of videos? And then I go on there, and I see there's an entire, like, you know, avenue, an entire lane. If you just start, like, going into, like, you know, Mike and myself and people that have been on there, you'll start getting all the algorithms. And then oh. and they'll start sending you all the recovery ones. And TikTok just needs to know that you're interested in recovery. And then once they do, you get inundated with recovery stuff. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah, there's been a lot of amazing stories. that People tell their story on there in, like, one-minute clips, you know. That's and great. Yeah, you'll see. Just start searching. Go to my page on there, and you'll see the different stories. Then TikTok will just start showing. Um, but yeah, it's I, that's where I find a lot of my guests lately have been TikTok people, um, Instagram, yeah, and Facebook, yeah. It's just 
whoever wants to tell their story, you know, they reach out and they want to tell it. I'm going to have them tell it. I'm not going to say no. You know, my first question is, do you have a sober date? You know, make sure because I've gotten on a call with somebody and they're like, oh, I'm not sober anymore. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, I've been drinking alcoholically for months. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go, but OK, let's keep talking. So, yeah. You know, I never even posted the episode, to be honest. So if you think that I'm talking about you, I'm not because the episode is still sitting in my vault because I'm still unsure of it, to be honest with you. You know, because it threw me off that much. Relapse is is a very uh, difficult topic um, without somehow inadvertently encouraging people to relapse. Uh, that's that's what was ha- that's the problem with that episode mike is she was making it to be like i don't have a problem with what i'm doing or how i'm drinking i drink every day but not bad it's like you drink every day but it's not bad but you know it's it's it didn't it wasn't like she was didn't lose everything so it wasn't like she's like oh i started drinking again i lost everything again it's not that so it's not the message that i feel comfortable putting out there right and that's, that's you know how There's, I feel like we should be responsible. And I feel like a relapse story is an important story to tell uh, if if in the end there is, like, I think... Um, there is. Um, I, know, I know what you're saying. There's light, you know. If, if this is the, the type of person who is truly sort of, you know, got reasons... And, you know, honestly, as I hate even saying that because, you know, people relapse for whatever reason. Well, but I'll give you I'll give they, you an example. They fall and they get up, you know, that is sort of the the crux of it all. If you fall and relapse that you get up, those are the boys. Oh, I hear them. That's why I smile when I heard the bark. You know, I always <laughs> I, I think, you know. I had two, two, I had 30 guests on in September. I did 30 and 30 in September for recovery month. Two of them had relapsed since. One of them is back in sober living, and the other one is trying to get back into rehabs, but keeps leaving them and keeps going AWOL and just leaving. So, like, one of them is going to do my show again, and the other one wants to, because those two, I do want to feature their, but I want to feature it after they've gotten it back. You know, the one girl she got three months again, and but I still want her to wait and then ask her what happened as a cautionary tale of what happened and why did you get back into rehab? I want I need that part in there, you know. In the about page, uh, I actually talk about I and I haven't done it, but I actually would love to feature a story or more uh, people who want to get sober, but can't seem to quite get there, you know? And I, cause I think it's okay to want to and not be able to, cause I've been there and it's hard, but that story itself could also be inspiring. I feel because there are a lot of people that are in that stage, you know, that they desperately want to get sober, but they haven't figured out the path yet, you know? And that's, what's intimidating because there's so many, you know, I think ways, uh, and usually the default is AA and step work, and some people, you know, uh, don't want to follow directions and, and don't want to have, like, this sort of, like, book to read. And oh, they want to be stubborn? They, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to be a little bit forgiving here, J.D., <laughs> 
<laughs> but I see. Yes. Yes. In the end, you know, there's there's that there's that devil inside that's like, you don't need to get sober. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, it's, also, it's also a genuine fear, man. I was afraid of, of what I didn't know. You I know, was, you know, we I drank for 20 years. You drank for longer. What so, the fuck am I going to do sober? Yeah. And what it's the a, fuck am I going to do without booze and weed? And when you don't know those answers, you genuinely fear them because you start your imagination starts giving you the answers that you're afraid of. It's literally the home alone effect of him being afraid of the furnace in the basement. And it turns into a monster every single time. But until he faced it and saw the furnace isn't going to be a monster, he wasn't afraid anymore. He was afraid of his own imagination. Hmm? I'm fucking mad that I wasted 25 years. You did, but you didn't. Maybe those 25 years are they taught you things that you needed to know now. You know, you yeah. know things now that you wouldn't Def- have learned. I'm definitely, uh, you know, more uh, aware and more clear. Um, but that is not like the bench for me to sit on. I need to like keep my eye on the ball and maintain a plan and be consistent because. <laughs> You know, things can go a wall anytime. Well, I'll hop on. I'll do one of yours whenever you're ready, buddy. When I'll I'll hop on one of yours whenever you're ready too. Yeah. 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 For sure. But I, you know, I tell my story all the time. <laughs> but you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll DM you and uh, we'll figure it out. Sounds I haven't gotten I haven't gotten into podcasting. I think it would be a fun thing. Um. I there's something really cool about the intimate the intimacy of words and being able to quietly sit with uh you know a phone or a tablet and read somebody's story you know yeah I, I, I used to write back in you know I used to I wrote screenplays and then I wrote stand up comedy um yeah. so wow. that was my trip I went from writing stories to writing stand up because I was so disgruntled with writing stories um I had written a really long that. one I'd written a really long one and the hard drive crashed on a computer and this was back 2012 I wasn't safe backing up shit so I lost everything and then I never wrote a story ever again and started writing comedy instead because I was so depressed oh my god dude but you need then to go it back took me but then, dude, it took me six years to get onto a stage because of genuine fear. And uh, because of being an alcoholic and an addict, I was afraid to get on stage with my jokes. But then I was but, so broken by January 2018, four months before. I was so broken. The only thing I could think of was to get on stage and talk. <laughs> because all comedians are just fucking broken. So I yeah. was like, you know what? I would go up there and be like, oh, I'm JD and I'm an addict, you know, and just start talking like I was at a meeting, bro. And yeah. Wow. You know, it happens how it happens, and then I eventually found meetings and then loved them. You know, that's and that's right. how I got comfortable talking in front of crowds again, but sober. You know, because yeah. I was like, how am I going to do stand-up comedy sober? And then so I started practicing by going to meetings and talking at the podium all the time. So that that sort of quote-unquote liquor liquid courage is uh, bullshit. It is, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I found a lot more courage sober. And trust me, you know, um, you know, I do have a lot of, you know, trouble, like with self-confidence and self-esteem, 
and it has gotten much better now that I stopped and, and actually I'm okay with myself, you know? So it's, 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 it's such a weird, like feeling that, you know, why, why was I burying all this in the first place? Well, when you feel your feels and you really get to know yourself and don't numb it all down, you're actually okay inside, you know, seemingly, you know, uh, there's still a lot of things that I have to work on. And, you know, I have a counselor that I talk to. There's, you know, we're all a piece of work, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's going to take, you know, that's why I use people get, you know, really up in arms about the word recovered in meetings. You know what I mean? You go to meetings, you say the word recovered, you get like seven heads breaking to look at who said recovered, you know, but you know, I know a lot of big book thumpers that like using the word recovered because it says it in the book, you know, like 15 plus times. So, right, and yeah. that's, but I don't like using it because I feel like I'm always in recovery. I'm, I'm in recovery from my mind. Not from the drugs and alcohol. I'm recovered from drugs and alcohol, but in my mind, I am not recovered. I am still working on myself. We never stop learning. I don't want to stop learning, man. That's for damn sure. So, thanks, you know, thanks for talking to me today. Let me learn a little bit about you. You know, I love that you went from both weird cities. Like that's that's so fucking funny to me, dude. And the fact that you know Austin, and this is a real like you know TV nerd thing. But Texas and Austin is where Matthew McConaughey's character came from in True Detective to go to fucking Louisiana. He was undercover in Texas to go to Louisiana. So, you know, you have these connections for me that mean nothing to anybody. Right. For my nerd pop culture self, like, I'm like, oh, my God, look at all these little connections. So, yeah. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. That that, that was a great show. That was, you know. Texan and uh you know his his uh his father there's there's a uh there's this great podcast um son of a hitman you gotta check out if you're a Woody Harrelson fan at all Woody Harrelson I am a Woody Harrelson he's one colorful he was just on Kirby Enthusiasm two weeks ago and it was fucking hilarious like a new episode yeah it was so funny he was playing himself too like this like hippie (laughs) who was like all biodegradable things and like Larry's not having it. It was, it was so great. It was such yeah. like a, yeah. yeah. Woody Harrelson. I've been watching on TV since, you know, I was a kid, you know, cause my dad had cheers on, oh, I sing, you know what I mean? So Dude. I was born in 86. So I know you were like probably 16 when I was born. Um, if my, cause if you were 22 graduating college, then you would have been what? 1888. Yeah. Yeah, so you were yeah, you were like a teenager when I was in your head, JD. I know. It's a gift and a curse, my friend. It's a gift and a curse. <laughs> but thank you again, Mike, for sitting thank down. You. And uh man, you're killing it. Sober Press is I the what's it what's the web soberpress.com? Dot org. Dot soberpress.org. It's just me and it's you know some some days I, I put out memes that have spelling errors or mistakes and that's probably because i haven't had my third or fourth cup of coffee yeah <laughs> i knew what you were, all, Plus, the links, all the, the links all the real human behind all this honestly yeah. <laughs> and that's what's more important is yeah. that well, i am i am a person 
with feelings. Hey, I appreciate that, man. And a lot of people do, you know, a lot of, and you know, all the links, whether you're watching or listening, all the links will be in the bio to click on, whether you want to go straight to the website or is Facebook group or the Instagram page where we found each other. They'll all be in the bio for you to follow along for more of Mike's journey. But yeah, awesome. Man. Def- we'll, t- we'll talk Facebook. more. <laughs> oh yeah. The Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. The Facebook group will definitely be in the bio for sure. So, cause I know that's a big one. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. All right. See you.